If you are a Christian for very long, you will have an experience something like this. You will receive a promise of God for your life. Maybe it'll happen some morning while you're in prayer and you just have this intuition or sensing you're not even sure how you know, but you know that God has said he's going to do this for you. Maybe it happens in a time of prayer and the person who's praying over you, somebody whose who's life in the Lord you trust, their prayer all of a sudden goes to another level and it takes on a prophetic character and it's like God is speaking through them and through their words of prayer into your life and you, you know that it is the promise of God for you. And then you wait. I don't know what that promise might be that God has spoken over your life. Maybe it has something to do with a place of ministry or service, like was said to Paul, you will be my chosen instrument to bring my message to Gentiles and to kings. And you receive something like that, and you wait. Or maybe the word you received has something to do with a problem in your life. It's been this recurring issue, maybe this nagging health problem. Maybe it's this self-destructive cycle in your life and you're just like, I wish I could be rid of it. And you receive from God a word, something like what he said to his people when he led them out of Egypt. The, The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And yet you wait to see that promise fulfilled. Maybe it's a promise for a person you love in your life and God has made it very clear to you, Trust me for them, I'm going to bring them back to myself. And yet you wait. Now I know some of you may right now be saying, I, I, don't, I haven't had that kind of promise that I know of, and I'm not even sure how I would. And this is not the sermon for you. I would love to help you actually learn how to discern the voice of the Lord, because it's so important We actually have two ministries this fall I would encourage for you. One is called Conexus Thrive, and the other is called the Transformation Intensive. They're both places, safe places, where we've designed it so that you can learn how to listen to the Lord and receive those promises for you. But here's what I can say. You will experience that as a Christian because it is is the nature of God to be a promise-making, promise-keeping God. God is the kind of God who says to people when they're in exile or in prison, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And so you will have this experience, if you've not, of receiving the promise of God over your life, and then you wait. I don't know what happens for you while you wait. I'll tell you what happens for me. I start to second-guess myself. I start to go, maybe I didn't really hear from the Lord. Maybe that was just my wishful thinking that I projected up onto God and I just out-psyched myself and put God's name on it, which is possible. Or I start to doubt God. I start to go, well, God, I don't know where you were or where you disappeared. I don't know where your promise disappeared. And you, you may even lie down in and choose the way of despair because at least then you don't have the the pain of disappointed hopes. 
And so if, if that's where you are this morning, I've been praying for you this week that God will use this word to speak into your life, that where you are starting to lose hope, he will impart hope by the Holy Spirit, that where your sails have become slack, he will fill them with the wind of his spirit, that where you have lost your grip on the promise of God, he will strengthen your hands to grip it again. Because the promise of God will be fulfilled. I want to look at this with you. And I don't know if there's a better case study we could have than the life of David. Because in the entire Bible, maybe with the exception of Jesus, there is no life that is laid out so fully and so bare before us as the life of David. We even have like his inner thoughts through the songs that he wrote that we call Psalms. It's like reading his diary. And in this life, as I unpack this for you this morning, I want to show you not just what happened for David around this, but teach all of us, all of us take in this, why is God's promise sometimes delayed? Let's look at it together in 2 Samuel 5, if you would turn there. As I was prepping this message, I was reading over verse 3. Uh, When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, blah, 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 the king had made a covenant with them, and they anointed David king over Israel. I thought, well, I think our people know that David was king over Israel. I'm not sure I see a sermon there. And then I went, wait a second. They anointed David. Wasn't he anointed king already? Didn't he? And I went and I checked the plan for this summer sermon series. And sure enough, if you look on the back of your bulletin, you'll see it. Number two, the prophet Samuel anoints David as king. June 14th, Bishop Stewart preached that one. I was like, well, what is this anointing? And I began to unpack something that I had never seen before, maybe you had, that in David's life there were actually three anointings. And this is not just a historical curiosity. In these three anointings, you not only understand just about everything you need to know about the first half of David's life, but you also get a deep understanding of why it is that God makes a promise and then delays. Let's look at it together. His first anointing comes when David is 12 years old. He's a boy. He hasn't even been bar mitzvahed. That's what Bishop Stewart preached on a few weeks back, and it's in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, the prophet, How long will you mourn for Saul, this king who's become disobedient, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now, what must it have been like to be a 12-year-old boy? You're called out in front of your entire family. You're anointed by this prophet, and this word is spoken over your life. You're going to be king. I, 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 I don't know. That would have blown my circuit. I'd have been like, any day now. Saul is going to step down, and I'm going to be made king. I'll tell you what happens instead. 13, 14, 15, 16, age 17... David goes out against Goliath and wins. If I'd been him, I would have been going, Hey, King Saul has armor, has a sword, is a head taller than anybody else here, and he's scared to death of Goliath. I go out, take Goliath down in the power of God. I'm going to be king any day now. 
Saul's going to abdicate, and the throne is mine. And this promise that was made over me by the prophet, this prophetic word of what God is going to do, is finally going to be achieved. Nope. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, King Saul gives David his daughter in marriage. If that isn't a sign that you are going to be the next king, and this is it, any day now, I'm going to be king. Nope. Saul turns poisonously jealous against David and his success and starts to threaten him and threatens to kill him. And David has to go on the run, and he spends seven years, 23, 24, 25, 26, all the way up to age 30, hiding out in caves for his life. And in that time frame, he writes nine different songs, one of which is Psalm 59. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. You thought that was Hebrew hyperbole? You thought that was poetic metaphor? David's just soberly describing his life. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie and wait for me. That's his life. And finally, finally, at age 30, he receives anointing number two. This is written about in 2 Samuel 2, verse 4. Then the men of Judah came to Hebron, and there they anointed David king over the whole country? No, just over the tribe of Judah. Basically, here's a little geography to explain this. There's 12 tribes. Two of them are in the very south, Judah and Simeon. Only those two tribes come to David and say, would you be our king? And they anoint him as king. So if the first anointing back at age 12, we might call the prophetic anointing, when the prophet comes and declares the will and intent of God, this one we'll call, anointing number two, we'll call a partial anointing. He's still not king over the whole country. He's only king over the little chunk in the south. And the ten tribes who who, uh, could be responding to him as king, after Saul dies, instead of coming over to David, they followed Saul's son. And what sets in then is five and a half years of civil war. All in his 30s, 31, 32, he's just fighting constant skirmishes against people who should be acknowledging him as king. It's not until age 37 that we finally get the third fullness anointing and what I will call, for the sake of alliteration, the palace anointing. That's what is going on here in 2 Samuel 5, and this explains why they're saying this in verses 1 and 2. All the tribes of Israel, meaning the ten who up till now have been fighting against David, came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. Hey, we've always been tight. Us, you, David, really. Right? They're lathering. (laughs) He said, uh, In the past, while Saul was king over us, we may have followed him, we may have followed his son, but really, you are our favorite general. You are the one who led Israel. And they're doing all this stuff. And so what David has them do, verse 3, is make a covenant that they really will follow him now, and they anoint him as king. And now, finally, at age 37, he's king over all of Israel, all of Judah, just as God had decreed. Now, can we go back over these three anointings so that we understand them very clearly? Anointing number one, age 12, a prophetic anointing. This is like the promise God gives you for your life. Age 30, Partial anointing. David sees some of the realization of what God wants for him, but not all. Age 37, the palace anointing, where finally it all comes together and God's will is revealed. And, and, and my heart just goes out to David. You can see how much he's suffered here 
in this little verse, uh, let's read 11, and I'll show this to you. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent envoys to David, along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king. This guy's been in caves for so long, he can hardly believe it. When they come to him from the ten tribes, he doesn't really believe that it's happening. When he makes a covenant with them, he still can't quite take in that now he's king. When they anoint him as king, the third anointing, he still can't quite believe it. He doesn't believe it until he settles into the palace and finally sitting there one day and he's like, you did it. Yahweh, you did it. Every syllable you prophesied when I was 12 years old has just been fulfilled. I can't believe it. Here it is. Hallelujah. His hopes have been so beaten down. Now, you and I live our lives between the anointings. Some of you, you have had a very clear promise of God over your life. And you know that. You've heard it. And yet you are waiting right now to see even the partial fulfillment. Others of you, you're like, no, I have seen part of it. I've seen a dimension of what God wanted to do. I just haven't seen all of it yet. And you're waiting now between this partial anointing and the palace anointing. And guess what? Even when God delivers fully in the palace anointing, there's even more beyond that, which is what Hebrews teaches us about Abraham and Sarah, who see the fulfillment of God by giving them Isaac against all odds. They see it, and yet the writer of Hebrews says they didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. What is he saying? He's saying even when you get the palace anointing, there's still the presence of God anointing. And all of God's goodness and fulfillment right here is still, excuse me, only a shadow of all the goodness that he has to come. Now, we live our lives between the anointings. What happens when we wait? And we wait. It's 25 years for David from prophetic to palace. I don't know what happens for you. I'll tell you what happens for me. I start to doubt. I start to despair. I start to wonder what happened to me. Did I sin? Did I do something wrong? Did I miss here? I start to wonder about God. I was talking to one of our moms here in the church, Marta, and she said that even her little daughter Grace will ask her sometimes, why doesn't God make everybody better now when she's got a cold? Why doesn't God make everybody better now when grandpa and grandma are sick? We all live with that, don't we? I wanna, waiting is a profound form of suffering. And suffering is a mystery that I couldn't explain fully even if I wanted to. But this text gives us a light on one of the reasons why the promise of God may sometimes be delayed. Let's look at that. If you turn to verse 12, you'll see this. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom. Why did God do this promise and fulfill this promise? For the sake of his people, Israel. Did you see that? For the sake of his people, Israel. It is for David. God loves David. But it's for way more than that. You see, God's promise is for you, but it's not just for you. Did you get that? God's promise is for you, but not just for you. The true promise of God is not just to build up your grandiosity. It's to make you a magnanimous soul who will overflow with God's blessings to everyone around you. And you say, well, okay, I get that, 
uh, that, that's beautiful. What does that look like? My wife, Karen, when, I remember when she was ordained as a deacon some years back, it was over at Glenbard West High School. We were worshiping there at the time. And before the service, people were coming in and gathering, and Karen and I were standing there on the chancel stage. And Karen said to William Beasley, our former pastor, William, look at all these people, old, old friends, family members who are coming for my ordination. And she was so excited to see people that she loved coming. And William said, you know, Karen, today it's all about you. But tomorrow and every day after that, it's all about them. You see, what God is after is making us a person, not like our natural inclination where it's all about us, but making us a person where it's all about them, so that when he pours out his blessing and fulfills his promise on our lives, we live this magnanimous life, generously giving away the blessing and promise fulfillment that we've received. And you know what one of God's best tools for getting us into that place is waiting. It's waiting. We've been reading through First and Second Samuel. The book of First Samuel is all about the first king of Israel, a king named Saul. And the book of Second Samuel is all about the second king, David. And so the whole thing is really a tale of two kings. It's contrasting two leaders and what we can learn from them and how they follow God. And you know what you see in Saul? You see a guy who's anointed to be king, becomes a king immediately. And what kind of king is he like? He's a king with zero impulse control. When God says to him, hey, wait to offer the sacrifice until the prophet comes, he gets afraid and he can't wait. And he takes matters into his own hands. And then God says to him, when you take this city, Saul, everything in it is devoted to me, irrevocably devoted to me. It's mine. And then he he keeps back, well, gosh, just a few things. I mean, maybe they were the best animals and all that, but it was really, it was all for God anyway. You see? And God can't use a person like that. God can't use them to bless other people. And so God's heart is broken. He says, I'm going to find a man after my own heart who's going to be all about others, who can handle the blessing and the promises that I've given upon their life. And the person like that is David. And how does he get David into that condition? He runs him through 25 years of waiting, including seven years in a cave. You can see the change in David. I mean, in in, in that same song I read to you earlier where he's saying, deliver me from my enemies, he's learning how to turn and place his hope in God. He's saying, you're my strength. I watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. My, my friend David told me about the work of Brene Brown. Some of you may know her. She's a research professor at the University of Houston Graduate School of Social Work. And her t- TED Talk has gone viral. And, and listen to what she says. She says, I can tell you as a researcher, 11,000 pieces of data, I cannot find a single example of courage. Moral courage, spiritual courage, leadership courage, relational courage. I cannot find a single example of courage in my research that was not born completely of vulnerability. You see, it's when you and I don't know what God is doing, when we don't know where he went, we're feeling vulnerable, we're feeling afraid, we're starting to lose hope. It's in our adversity that we reach up and we learn how to exercise our hope muscle in God. And we become the kind of person that can receive the blessing and be there for others with that blessing when God pours it out upon our hearts. That's the kind of person God wants you to be. That's the kind of person God wants me to be. And you go, is there no other way? Can't we just go immediately from prophetic anointing to palace anointing? Wouldn't we all love that? Yeah, but we wouldn't be good at that. And so God has a better way. 
a way that is, is challenging, a way that takes us to the bottom of ourselves, but then builds us up in God. Now, during that time, I will say, you will feel God disappeared. Read David's Psalms. He felt that way sometimes. You will feel, I'm past my prime. I missed my window. It's over for me. Recently, as you know from our parish meeting, over the last months, Karen and I have been in kind of a vocational search and discernment process with Stuart and Catherine for me and for Karen as well. And so as part of the process, uh, Karen's got a friend who is, works with a, one of the elite pastor search firms in the country. And she said, show me your resume and I'll coach you on it. So we did. And she said, well, here's some tips and here's how you can revise it. And I said, well, what do you think, though? I mean, what are churches going to see in this? And they go, oh, we have so much experience. And I said, yeah, what are they not going to like in it? And she said, oh, that's easy, your age. I said, my age? She goes, oh, yeah, people want a senior pastor. They'll say they want somebody between the ages of 35 and 45, but they always hire the person who's between 40 and 45. And you're, um, well, you're uh, 55, and you're kind of on the um, high end of the range. And when she said that, a little dart of fear went in my heart. Because I'm like, oh, well, now God can't get me to where I'm supposed to go. Because I can't control that. You know what? God is a specialist in getting people who it's too late where they're supposed to go. He takes people who it's biologically impossible to have a child, and he gives them a child. He takes people who are way past their prime. I I studied this this week in preparation for this message. I started going through and looking at person after person in the Bible and seeing how God prepares them. Get this. Abraham is promised you will have a descendant. In fact, you're going to have so many, it's going to be like sand on the seashore, you can't even count it. And, and how long does he wait for Isaac to actually show up? Nineteen years. Every one of those years after it was too late to happen. And he waits 19 years. Joseph is promised as a young man through this prophetic dream that he has that his father and his brothers are going to bow down to him, that he's going to be given this place of governance and honor beyond anything that it was culturally reasonable to expect. And it's not grandiosity, it's from God. And they're so jealous of it, it creates problems for him. That happens when he's 16. How long till he is actually in a place where he's elevated above them and they recognize it? When he's 39. He waits 23 years for that fulfillment of the prophetic dream. How about Moses? Moses intuits, I've been placed in the palace for a reason. I'm supposed to deliver God's people from slavery in Egypt. At 40, he goes out in his own strength and tries to do it, ends up killing a guy, has to run. When does God say, now you're ready, now you can actually be the kind of person I can fulfill the promise for? When he's 80, 40 years later. Okay, how about Paul? At age 29, Paul is told this, You are my chosen instrument to take my message to kings and Gentiles. Couldn't be more clear. When does he go on his first missionary trip? Age 42. Thirteen years later, three of which he spends in the desert waiting on the Lord. How about uh, Jesus? Even Jesus, you go, if anybody could skip waiting, he didn't need that. Paul says, even though he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And you know what he does? He spends 30 years of his life doing nothing that we know about. Nothing's recorded, except for one incident when he's 12. We're not even 100% sure he was a carpenter. Pretty sure. You see the same principle outside the Bible with great leaders. Nelson Mandela, 27 years in prison. And he becomes president at age 76. 
Oh friends, if we will trust ourselves to the work of God, He will get us there. His promise will prove true. Every syllable. But it's going to come anointing by anointing by anointing. And in the midst of that life which we all live, let me give you this pastoral word and I just call you into it. Give up your timeline. But don't give up your hope. Give up your timeline. We have all these timelines, don't we? By this age, I'm going to be here. And by this age, I'm going to have this relationship. And maybe by this age, I'll have this much financially settled and I'll be more comfortable and I'll be established and I'll be respected and I'll have children and I'll have this and I'll have this book and I'll do blah, 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 blah. Maybe that's God's will for your life. It may well not be. Can I tell you something? Surrender your timeline. Give it up to God. Just say, God, I don't have a timeline anymore. I'm ripping it up. I'm saying that I trust you and I trust your promise on my life. I believe the prophetic anointing and I believe you're going to bring it. I'm going to see the partial anointing. I'm going to see the palace anointing. I'm going to trust you and it's not too late. Oh, friends, that we would lean into this great truth that every prophetic promise of God will be fulfilled. Because it's in the cave that we learn to be king.